On this week's episode, Alan and I are going to dive into some rule questions for an in-depth discussion on what makes a successful club. We hope you enjoy this one. You're listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast, celebrating hunting dog heritage, competition, and community. United Kennel Club has been the hunting dog sports home for coonhounds, beagles, retrievers, pointers, cur feist, and more for over 125 years. This podcast is fueled by Yukonuba, the official performance dog nutrition partner of UKC. Welcome back to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. This is Trevor Wade. I'm the Coonhound Program Manager here at UKC, and I'm joined today by the Director of Hunting Ops, Alan Gingrich. How's it going, Alan? Good. Doing very well. Yeah. Came back from the eye doctor a little while ago, and I, he dilated my eyeball, so hopefully I can uh, see your notes that you made here today. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> we'll be well, fine. Well, at least we don't have three big old uh, lights right in front of us right now. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to talk about rules again today, yeah, right? Yeah, we have, we yeah. have more uh, questions that we didn't get to in last week's episode, so I think we, we got enough to get a whole episode here, and we got some good ones today, yeah, I think. Yeah, there's, there's actually a couple of them that came uh, came over the phone here in the last week uh, that I see you, you threw in here as well, so yeah. Should be good stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I think we'll we'll kind of do like we did last time and just bounce them off each other and, and get some interpretations out there for everybody. Starting out with number one here. Number one is one that we get... Uh, calls about periodically and it has to do with signatures on the scorecard says so is the card thrown out is the scorecard thrown out if a handler does not sign their name on the scorecard good question you can't win a cast if you're if you if you were your dog was a cast winner and you didn't sign it that has to happen has to have a signature on it otherwise they're not going to give you the win in the old days if you didn't if you came in with a scorecard that didn't have your signature on it uh uh, you were just flat scratched and you still are. The only difference now is that you have the, uh, now there's a rule that allows you to sign it in front of the master hounds or the hunt director at the club, but they're not going to sit around and wait on. If you went home and, uh, and didn't sign the scorecard, your dog's not going to get the win. Right. So there's a, uh, yeah, that's a good question, but, uh, yeah, you have some other notes here. I think you want to talk about sure. signatures and things. Yeah. It seems like, uh, Back, you hear uh, horror stories of the old olden days of how particular event officials in UKC was when it came to scorecards, and you still see that today. People they want to make sure they got everything correct before they turn in. That's a good thing. They it want is. to make sure all it the is. boxes are checked and it is. and all the scores are tallied and all the signatures are on there. And yeah. it's there's also some misconceptions. You know, some think, well, I don't agree with some with the way something was scored or ruled on. Therefore, I'm not going to sign it, and this is going to somehow change something. Well, not in UKC. That doesn't right. change anything. All it changes is, uh, uh, I, I guess, you just can't win if you didn't sign it. But you can still sign it with the right to protest if there's right. a question or there's procedures in place for all that stuff. But uh, right. yeah, it's important that you sign the scorecard. And even if you didn't win, you should still sign it because that just confirms and verifies it that, yeah, you agree that everything, the time and everything is correct on it. And even if you don't agree with, uh, like, let's say the time, you should have questioned the time. If that's the case, you still sign off on it, but you question it and you take it back and you talk about that right. and uh, get a ruling on that. Yeah. Still sign it. One thing that cracks me up is the box in the top middle. You, if you go through all the auto mokes, you'll see 120, 120 minutes, 120 minutes on every single card. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it cracks me up because that's an old, kind of an older it thing, is. I think. It yeah, is. So. You know, and if you go back even further than that, you know, we used to have the time in and time out blocks and so many or blocks, and that was for every turn loose. You know, if you yeah. had a time in here at 803, uh, and you made one tree, all the dogs tree together like they used to in the old days, you'd move down the road. And you time uh, time out at uh, eight twenty six, yeah. You know, and uh, and then you turn back in again at uh, eight forty three. You know, uh, yeah. Go add up all that stuff, and I can tell you, if it didn't add up exactly right to the T, that card was thrown out. Yeah, that's, but we're kind of getting away from the right, signature thought, thing here. I but yeah, it was a lot was more funny, tedious right. than it is. It's a lot more customer friendly now than it used to be. Absolutely. Well, hey, let's talk about the let's bring the rule book into the equation. Uh, the, the first mention of signatures in the rule book uh, pertaining to night hunts is going to come in Rule Six W, and that rule reads: If scorecard lacks handler signature, or if event official cannot satisfactorily determine accurate score, dogs affected will be scratched. Refer to Rule Twelve C if applicable. And real quickly, I'm going to go over Rule Twelve, which is basically all about scorecards. It's actually titled scorecards. 
Uh, 12A says scorecards must be completed in the woods and no changes can be made later except where a question arises as and is noted in the woods. 12B reads, handler's signature verifies hunting time and scores are correct. Any protest relative to time or scores shall be noted with a question mark. There is what I just mentioned about. You still sign it, but with the right to protest. That's right. And 12C, finishing up rule 12, says any handler failing to sign the scorecard in the woods may have the opportunity to sign upon returning the scorecard to and in view of the master of hounds or hunt director. So I don't know. It, when one of the... it's. it's I think that rule is pretty, uh, pretty clear and concise. There's some things that we get from time to time. One thing is we'll get a, a call from someone who's uh, irritated. They were on a cast. They were angry at the way the cast played out. They didn't sign the scorecard, so they thought the scorecard was going to be thrown out, and somehow they saw the scorecard the next day or what have you posted, and there was a little scribble where their signature was supposed to be where probably the winning handler put a little scribble mark there to make it seem like the guy signed it so the scorecard wouldn't get thrown out in theory. It was the person's thinking, I believe. You know, and you made note of that. You know, we hear about that sometimes where the winning handler signs somebody else's scorecard. If I won the cast, you didn't sign it, you left, and then I'm thinking, man, I need your signature on here, so I just go and put it in you're right don't do that right don't do that it just because you didn't sign it doesn't change anything really it's not going to necessarily get my card thrown out or my score is not going to be uh questioned because of it you know it just means that you didn't sign the scorecard for whatever reason but it doesn't change anything else if i don't so, sign that scorecard basically all that's going to happen is i'm getting scratched yeah. from the hunt yeah but don't you know when you when i go and sign your name to it or something all the all i'm doing is muddying things up absolutely you know, and all that's going to create is theories and this and that, you know, and da 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 this, and, you know, and, and it happens sometimes, but uh, don't do that. If they didn't sign it, don't sign it. You know, as a judge, he should try to make sure they sign it. And, hey, uh, you just read the rules that pertain to this, that they still have the right to protest. You know, if, if I'm judging, explain that to the handlers. You know, if you can't make them sign it, if, you, if they're just going to refuse to, but really, for what? Yeah. You know, there's really not a, any good reason not to sign it, you yeah. know, so. But uh, another yeah. point I wanted to make is that if you're participating in a hunt, I know after the cast, if you if you were to lose, let's say you may be tired and just maybe irritated by the way the cast played out for whatever reason. But make sure you go before you sign it and put your name on there, verifying everything's correct. Mm-hmm. Make sure you go over that. Yep. That's that's what helps the event officials in UKC if something were to go awry in the situation. Yep. Yep. Double check everything. That's what the signature is for. That's why we require it on yep. there. Another another question that comes about signatures is if you're using a non-hunting judge, do you do I still need to sign the scorecard? Answer is obviously yes, and that nothing changes with signatures just because you're using a non-hunting judge. Right, everybody still sign it. Non-hunting judges can make mathematical errors or even scoring errors on there as well. So be sure you're double checking scores and making sure the right things have been applied whenever, before you sign it. Yeah. And, and that's really the, the reason for it or the intent of it is that before I sign it, even if I didn't win the scorecard and even more so if I did, but just make sure I go over everything, make sure everything looks correct before I sign it. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, Hey, uh, hey, here's another one that you talk about signatures that we should definitely uh, cover, and that is where does the judge sign? If I'm a hunting judge, I am hunting my dog here, I'm dog A, do I sign over here where uh, my score is, where my signature is, or up at the top right of the scorecard it asks for the judge's signature? Talk about that. Yeah, well, hey, the, I think the top right hand of the scorecard is, it's something that I think I don't think enough stuff or uh, focus is put on that section. When I see a scorecard, the first thing I want is the judge's signature. That's how I can tell who judged it because whoever's assigned on there, it doesn't always end up judging. And sometimes it doesn't get, and that it shouldn't be. They should that, always end right. up, but yeah. But some that ju- that judge's signature up there on the top right tells me exactly who judged the cast, yep. and that's important for me. Um, and also, I, I know some people may not take it as serious as I do, but I like seeing the the coon scored and seen, and the county hunted. That stuff's important for data purposes. Yep. I think for both the club and for me, I have data spreadsheets of all our major events yep. for coons seen and scored and counties hunted. Yep. So really, if you're judging, sign up there where it asks for the judge's signature to sign that, and it's not going to hurt it if you just initial your name down by your score too. But either one is going to uh, is going to satisfy any judge's uh, signatures. Yep. Either way. Yep. All right. Question number two. I think we've hit that one well enough. In the course of a night hunt, my dog was declared treed a good distance from the cast. We could hear other dogs in the area, but according to telemetry, it was none of the dogs in our cast. 
the judge of my cast received a call from another cast member saying that my dog had come into their tree on another cast as they were completing their shine time. The judge deleted my tree. I'm talking about my judge now deleted my tree for my dog having been on a previously scored tree. What would your ruling have been in this situation? Well, first to answer the question, let's go to the rule book. And I think this is where it may have came from. I'm not sure, but rule 5H is where you're going to find about scoring previously scored trees. And 5H is in the deleted section. It tells us when dog, uh, points are deleted, when dogs, when dog trees on a tree or a coon previously scored. Now, that doesn't exactly tell you that it's just your cast, but that is the interpretation. And maybe it should be almost common sense or I'm not sure, but... Uh, when when you read that rule, it's pertaining only to the coons and trees scored on your cast that you are competing on. Yeah, that's um, that is the intent of it. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I don't think that there's a need for a caveat in there saying on your cast or anything. Yeah. You know, I, I hate the situation yeah. where you get in with another group of dogs or with another cast of dogs. You know, I'm I'm not naive to think that it's not going to happen more, but we try to avoid that at all costs. Um, but if it does happen, the only the only reference you're going to find in the rule book about that getting with another group of dogs or another cast of dogs is in Rule Seven that pertains to timeouts. Talking about being able to call timeout if you get in with another cast of dogs, but it has nothing to do with deleting your points if you get in with another cast of dogs. You'd still treat it like any other timeout situation. If I treat my dog in, even if it's with another cast before the timeout was called, that's still we still have to get in there and score my tree as yep. if yep. you know. Yep. Yep, that doesn't matter. That's how it works. The intent of that rule is only deleted or previously scored trees that dogs made in your cast, not any any other cast or anything like that. Uh, you know, if we got time for a little funny story. Yeah, you know, yeah let's hear it. You know, you run into things like sure. this if you hunt long enough, and it's happened to me. It was we were just in. I think we were in a sectional or something hunting grand, so there was only a two dog cast in my in in my cast, and I remember the first tree. Uh, my dog went in there, struck and treed, had the first tree, and there's another dog in there. But the second dog is all in our cast. He's trailing over here. I'm like, what the world? There's a third dog in there now, you know, or a second dog with my dog treeing in there. So we go in there, and uh, I went up to check the dog. It was a, it was obviously a dog from another cast, but I went in to check the name on the on the collar of this dog, and and this dog did not want me getting very close to him. So I remember that part of it. So I backed out of it. It's like, okay, buddy, you're fine right there. Yeah. But the the funny part of it, so we, it was a big old den tree, big old tree. I remember we shined it and shined it. We circled it. And about the time before we got done, we see lights coming from another cast and they come in there and, uh, uh, and they start shining. And before we left, we kind of gathered our dogs up, you know, and they're scoring the tree again for their dog here. Yeah. And it's like, geez, okay. I, my dog treed your coon for you here or this tree and we had circled it and and they you know, hey we got the coon right here he is it's like are you kidding me that's <laughs> what <laughs> so they got so yeah that's my little i always remember that i'll probably always remember that oh, i can still see up, that tree he? yeah one <laughs> i got circle on they got plus so well, i'm not sure if uh we uh didn't look hard enough or um i'm gonna i'm gonna say we looked we did a good job at looking for it. You gave it a good look over. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think we get we got that one covered pretty good. I think we can move on now to uh, question number three here. And it kind of has to do with the same kind of deal, getting in with another cast or, or what have you. And it says, well, what happens if a dog is found to be fighting with another dog outside of your cast? Uh, some examples could be a dog from a different cast or even a yard dog when you're close to a house. Yeah. So the rule that covers that is going to be rule 6A and B, but it's, uh, 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 so it's dogs will be scratched for fighting or attempting to fight. Uh, and that's in the rule book. When off leash during the hunt time, that means dog that is leashed up can't be scratched for fighting, you know, if it fights during that time, only when it's off leash. Uh, and, and this in, to include any timeout periods. So what that means is also pretty simple. If, if you've called timeout, the dog's still loose, the dog can still be scratched for fighting during that time. Uh, but it goes on to say, the rule does, when the aggressive dog is known, scratch the aggressor only. If not known, scratch the dogs that are involved in this fight. 
And uh, we always say that's the better thing to do to make sure we get the that the dog that started this, uh, and as it's a temperamental thing, you know, that we get that dog out of there and it gets reported. Uh, withdrawing to avoid dog being reported for fighting is not permitted. What that means is just because we had a dog fight, and before, if you're judging before you, my dog and your dog are involved in this, and before, uh, before you actually physically write scratch for fighting on the scorecard, I say, hey, Trevor, let me just withdraw my dog and right. don't write it up. No, that's not, we can't do it. We had a fight. That's what we got to put down. Uh, but again, here, we're talking about dog fights. And, uh, and like we talked about the uh, uh, scoring of trees, previously scored trees, this only pertains to dogs fighting with other dogs on your cast, not the farm dog or that comes back, you know, and to the woods or, or a coyote or something like that. Only if they are fighting with dogs on your own cast. That's it. Yep. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. All right. Question number four. Um, Another dog fighting question? Another dog fighting question. <laughs> Did you get a bunch of those calls this week or what? <laughs> I guess the full moon maybe had them going yeah, in the past maybe, week. Maybe. So here's the question. There's a dog fight on a cast, but the cast does not make it to the club by the return deadline. Do the dogs still get written up? And, hey, this was, in fact, a question this week. Yeah. And the answer is absolutely it does. Yeah. Even on a dead cast, a dog's still liable for its actions out yeah. in the woods. Hey, let's give a little scenario sure. of what happened here. This was, you know, we had the double hitters. So this was, the question was in a double hitter, uh, they, they had a dead cast, didn't have a score, but they had two dogs scratched for fighting in it. So, uh, and they had some, after the hunts up, it took a while to round up these dogs. And in doing so, had a dead cast, but they didn't make it back before the deadline. And now this is late in the morning now of a double header. And they get back, and everybody's gone. Right. You know, the shop is closed up. The deadline was every everybody else was back and gone. But I have problem is I have a scorecard here with two dogs scratch for fighting. That's the that's the situation here. Right. Yeah. And even even so, that the dogs still need to be written up for being scratched during the hunt. And uh, I, I heard actually on it was Monday morning. I actually heard you take a call regarding this. Yep. Is where I got yep. this topic from. And. Uh, even after the fact, you, you told him even after the fact, even if it has to be the next day or next time you see the club official, we got to get that scorecard to them so they can fill out the proper paperwork and get it sent to us so the dogs will be held liable for the actions. Yeah, what we say a dead cast, what we call a dead cast, just nobody can win that cast. But that doesn't change the fact that dogs that were uh, uh, ruled scratch for fighting, they still that still needs to be reported. But in this case, kind of a unique situation, but it's a good question, you know, but just because the doors are locked, everybody home you didn't or everybody left doesn't change the fact that we need to get this to the event officials and in this case you know what if I can't get it to them tonight that's fine maybe I can try to make a call or something to the event official and tell them I have it or something but get it to him somehow because that needs to report be reported absolutely yep all right moving on to question number five here it says can a dog that keeps going back to a previously scored tree be scratched for delaying the cast yeah, the short answer to that is no. You know, I think on the last episode when we had rules, we talked about delaying the cast or here not too long ago. I know we talked about that. Delaying the cast, again, is the only time you're going to read about that in the rule book where, it, where, it's, uh, where it's relevant is during hunt time after you call time out during the hunt. Uh, you get a one-hour clock to, to retrieve all the dogs and be ready to go again. That's what's considered delaying the cast right there. So, uh, the, again, the short answer to that is, is, uh, is no. That's not necessarily delaying the cast just because you keep going back to it, back and forth, you know, and turn the dog loose again, he goes back. That's not necessary. Yeah, it's, it's making you go back, but it's not delaying anything. It's not delaying the completion of your hunt right. like it would if you went to gather up your dog and you don't have it back so we can continue on right hunt time still yeah. in there yeah so let's point out to the rule book real quick uh, we've mentioned 5h already which says when dogs when dog trees on a cocoon or previously scored trees the points are deleted but there's also a little uh statement there in parentheses that i didn't mention earlier that has, that pertains uh, to this situation and it just says cast may go to tree without dogs being declared treed if majority of cast agree when hunting judges are used yeah um basically what that's telling us is if we, we walk 30 yards and we cut the dogs loose. Mine wheels around and goes back to the tree we just scored. We all agree it's the same. And we I can, can just see go, it. We can basically right. see it, yeah. Yep. We can verify it. I can just run back there, grab him, come mm -hmm. back, and, yeah. and do what I need to do with it. 
Uh, I just made a couple of points that we should cover real quick that pertain to it before I guess we get into maybe some scenario situations. But the first thing is, even if my dog's wheeling around and going back to this tree, I need to, if it's after the minute, I need to strike my dog on or uh, before the third bark. Right. That's always the case. Doesn't matter if my dog's treeing right beside us or booger barking here to the side. After that minute's up, I got to strike my dog on yep. before the third bark. Yep. Regardless. And we hear that sometimes. Yeah. You know, we want to make the argument, well, the dog was going back to the barking on the same tree, you know, so that all that, you know, that still matters. Yep. There's no exceptions to not calling your dog struck on or before the third bark after one minute of uh, having turned him loose. Good yep. point. I think another, another good point that it tells us there is that we got to make sure that the majority of the cast agree that the dog has returned to a previously scored treat or else you need to verify it. Um, just me telling you, hey, I'm looking at my my dog tree here and it's yeah. telling me that my dog's tree yeah. on the same tree. I'm going to go get it real quick. Hey, hold on. We yeah. got to, we got to have a cast vote here real quick to make sure that we all agree, or at least the majority agrees it, it to go do to be, that. It needs to be verified visually. Right. Can't just uh, say, okay, it sounds like it is. And most of the time it is, but Hey, I've there again, I've, I've seen it plenty of times when you thought for sure the dog went back to the same tree and you didn't even call him tree. You know, you just went in there like, Whoa, okay. He's not on the same tree. Might just be the next tree over. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, yeah. And I, I guess uh, that, uh, you know, that happens. Sometimes we can just add that. What do you do in that case? You know, and the answer to that is you back out and you call him tree and wait the time. Don't handle him. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And just the last thing, even if you were to strike and tree the dog and it ends up being a previously scored tree, delete both of them in yep. accordance with the rule that we just read. There's no further penalty points right. that you assess or anything. Yeah. Now, we oftentimes, we, we sometimes get some calls about people that are, unhappy or disgruntled about a cast the the weekend before where a dog returning to the same tree multiple times they say it just derailed the cast and became a major issue on the cast and just ruined hunt time yeah and uh i guess we could talk about what we can do to avoid that and and i think the first thing to say is just don't let a, a hound going back to the tree keep you from continuing the hunt and from getting out and striking and treeing your dog and progressing to trees that have, that have been declared treed and yeah. scoring those trees. Yeah. This dog over here going back to a tree doesn't take precedence over the yeah. whole rest of the cast that's right. going on before you. Yeah. Like, for instance, let's put an example out there. Let's say we have a dog treed through the country over here that we need to go to, and uh, I've I've recast my dog, and it turned wheels around and goes back to the tree. What you're saying is go to this dog that we need scored. We're not going to stop the cast, hold the cast till I run back and get my dog again. Absolutely. No, we need to go. Our next step is going to that uh, dog that's declared treat. Yeah. Now, the only time that I can maybe, you know, if, if I, yeah, you're going to send me back to go get my dog, you know, as soon as you possibly can. But right now we got to score that tree. The only other way is if I call my dog treat, maybe I can find me a, I guess, get me a slot to when Absolutely. I can finally handle my dog. If we got other dogs treed, cause, uh, yeah. Just because my dog wheeled around, we're not going to sit there all night long and my dog keep going back and going back without continuing on with our hunt. I think that's the point you're Absolutely. trying to make. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and with you being, say your dog keeps going back, with you being a voting member, you don't just get, get to keep leaving the cast if your dog's 100, yeah. 200, 300 yards away right. to, to yeah. rehandle this dog. Yeah. You're a voting member. You need to stay with us because yeah. once you get split up, that's whenever yeah. bad things can happen yeah. pretty quickly. Stay with your cast. Continue on your cast. And like you said, if you have to, Treat your dog in that way you can get back to him. But yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point to make here. If we got dogs to score that are declared treed, why, uh, yeah, hey, we're gonna go do that. We we got to get there. So yeah, uh, ready for the next one? Question number six. Yeah, we can okay. go ahead and knock it up. All right, I was on a hunt recently and was down by a quarter with only a couple of minutes left in the hunt. A couple dogs, including mine, were working in an area in front of us. My dog loaded up, meaning he uh, located on a tree with only a few seconds left in the cast, and I was able to get him treed in in time before hunt time ran out. Uh, the hunt did, in fact, run out on the way to the tree. Um, another dog in the cast started treeing with my hound before we get to this tree. Since hunt time was over, will that hound that came in, will he still be minus his strike points for being uh, for uh, treeing but not declared treed? Uh, when the cast arrived. Right. Well, I'm glad that we get to reference rule 4F here. We've talked about it a few times. It still seems to be the most uh, asked about question out there. And you're right. Dogs treated but not declared treated when the judge arrives do receive minus strike points. But in this situation, with hunt time running out, before you get to the tree, we got to look at rule 5F, which tells us that we're going to be deleting the points if dogs are trailing when time is out. So as soon as time runs out, my dog's out trailing, 
We're going to delete my strike points. And then from then on, there's no way to score my dog any further. Like you said just a second ago, it's still liable for a dog fight if it's off the leash or what have you. But no other scoring situations can happen because my strike points have been deleted. When we get in there, I'll just handle my dog. Strike points already deleted. Yep. You score your tree and see how you, how your points go. And let's say let's say uh, take it a, another step, another little situation. Let's say you have your dog declared treed here, and before hunt time does run out, mine is also in there treeing now. But I elect not to call it treed, and in doing so, hunt time expires before the tree time does. That's treated no differently. My dog is still going to get its strike points deleted, just like it had been a half a mile away running a track somewhere. Right. Yeah. All that doesn't matter. Good to know for a little bit of strategy. Time expires. Any dog that's not declared treed that is struck in but not declared treed will have its strike points deleted at that point and treated like it was trailing when hunt time ran out. Simple as that. Yep. Alan, we both had Dr. Pathfinder 2s now for a little while. What do you think about yours? I'm liking mine. One of the things I had the opportunity to now download a map of an area where I did not have service, and I've used it there, and it has worked flawlessly. I love it. Yeah, I love the crystal clear maps. I love that I never lose reception on my dog's collars anymore. Highly recommended by me as well. Dogtra Pathfinder 2, the official GPS collar partner of UKC. All right, we'll move on to question number seven now. And this question asks us, what is UKC's stance on using boats on a licensed night hunt? Yep, that is one that I learned early on when I started working up here. And you, I, I know I've hunted out of boats, and I'm, I'm assuming you probably yes, have. Absolutely. Well, it's a good, great way to hunt. Absolutely. Uh, the question is, or is it allowed in a, during a night hunt? And the answer to that is no and absolutely not. And the reason for it is liability issues. So many bad things can happen. You've, you've seen it. I've seen yeah. it, you know, especially you're cruising down the river here or a, a creek or whatever in a boat and, and hounds, dogs smell a raccoon or something. And, and, and especially if you don't have enough help, you've got a couple hounds in a boat in a hurry. It's not like handling hounds on dry land. Try handling a couple hounds that are just going crazy, wanting to get out of this boat and get after this scent. Uh, try to hang on to them in a boat. Yeah. But it's, it's a liability thing. If you think about it, you have a full if you have a full cast of four people and their dogs and a couple spectators, and now are they all going to fit in one boat? You're going to have multiple boats. It's dark out there, which even increases some of the issues that can pop up. It can get pretty uh, sketchy in a hurry, so it's better off just to avoid that and yep. do what you have to do. Yeah, and you mentioned you got some notes in here. You know, the dog should be free cast in search of game, not cruising down and letting it's. Uh, uh, not like we do some of that hunting up here in Michigan as well, you know, rigging, you know, from the driving down back roads or whatever rigging is used to be more popular back in the old days, you know, but, uh, and, and same thing rigging out of a boat, but it's not allowed. Let's talk about, you know, it's easy, I think for us or somebody to argue, well, okay, this guy's a coon hunter. He's not good. If something bad happens, you fell out or whatever, hurt himself or what have you, he's not going to sue the club or he's not going to sue United Kennel Club. Well, maybe not, but he goes, he turns this thing into his insurance company. Uh, the insurance company uh, does all that. Right. You know, so right. just because this guy might not personally, the insurance company is going to, if insurance gets involved, um, yeah, all that is out the door. Right. And Well, well there we go. Tyler Duncan asked it on Coonhunt University podcast a long time ago, so there's did, your answer, did. Tyler. Yeah, kind <laughs> been of waiting for a while, but like a year later. <laughs> yeah. And I think it happens. I don't think uh, folks really think about it that much, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and I, Hey, I've seen it before when, uh, and honestly, I'll just be, uh, be honest. And, uh, I've been in a hunt before where, uh, we've got a body of water. The dogs are on the other side and we were figuring out how to get across here and, and walk up and wall. Holy cow. Right. Here's a boat flipped over in the weeds, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, uh, yeah, yep. no, we say, uh, yeah, I can't use boats in a licensed night hunt. All right, question number, the last question we've got here, and we want to take a little time on this. And when I saw this question here, I, I, I like that you put this in here. And, and so let's talk about that. And the question is, uh, in your opinion, what does it take to be a successful coon club? Yeah, it says coon club, but this could go for any of our segments. I believe a lot of these same topics. And, you know, I was out at a, at a club this past weekend, um, and I was actually, I was an event official and I was there, you know, by myself for a couple hours waiting on it to get dark and cast to get back. And I, 
made a couple laps around the club and I was just thinking, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people don't think about the behind the scenes stuff that goes on in a club. They show up, they enter their dog, they go hunt, they may return the scorecard, they may go straight home, who knows. But uh and and I think oftentimes I lose track of that too because I go to so many major events and there's that's so much different than it is at the local level because there's whole associations and, and everybody there doing work when at these local level clubs it's only it, a lot of times it's only a couple individuals and and they need more so what does it take to be successful the first thing that I put on here was people yeah and not just people but people that are driven that are responsible respectful and passionate and the last thing i say people that truly care about coon hunting and the people inside of the sport and that lifestyle that's what it takes to be a strong a strong and successful coon club yeah and i think you said a mouth or a mouthful there you know and a lot all that is all that is true and there's there's a difference right you know and how how much effort you put into that you know and you're talking about you know your guides and making sure you have guides you know we talk about it sometimes clubs are very usually not very successful if they plan on having their entries to guide them right in other words if we don't have any guides that are members of our club that we can rely on to guide our casts when we have hunts that just doesn't work very well right it doesn't and even even if you have in these days even if you have you know four or five six casts you know it still doesn't work well you know but yeah yeah leadership is another one yeah the first thing i have is strong leadership um I think when you look at a scope of our top performing clubs every year, they all have one thing in common. It's their officer list is full of people who are who buy into putting on a successful event. I'm thinking of some of the clubs who who usually have our best qualifiers and who are hosting zones for us and uh, and doing other things. They all have uh, that in common that they all have strong leadership um, and officers that they they know their rules are familiar with their their rules and bylaws and they go by it when they have meetings when they're supposed to have meetings. Uh, they're doing stuff by the book. They're not just making up their own rules as they go. Um, I have them here. They're paying their money out. They're not behind on on paying kennel clubs. They're not behind on paying insurance or taxes or rent or anything like that. And uh, they're responsible. And and good clubs, they're responsible for, for turning in paperwork. That's going to keep people coming back if they're going to get their wins in a timely manner. Uh, they're responsible for making sure that we have enough guides and judges and, and getting DNR permits and that sort of thing. All those, all good clubs there's, have those things in common. There's a good one. You know, I think, uh, I think all, or a lot of clubs could probably, if they're being honest with themselves sometimes is uh, permits. You mentioned that if you need to have permits in your state, um, we have some that are a little lax on that, you know, and that's important. Yeah. That's important. Not just, not just, uh, for to to be to be uh, to be legit or to be legal, um, it, hey, we want to do these things. You know, I think back in the old days, I think uh, maybe more so than now, but like game wardens almost were like uh, I don't want to say our enemies at all, but we should be working. You'd be surprised how much can be accomplished if we work with them. And part of that is being legal. Pay your uh, get your permits. Be be legit. You know, yeah. all that all that serves a purpose in. In most states, you know, you pay a small fee, like in the state of Indiana, I think permits only 10, 20 bucks or something right. like that. Uh, but that uh, there's, they use money for that, you know, for conservation and all that in your state. And yeah. it helps you. Absolutely. It does. Well, you think about it and you go to, they have these uh, meetings, uh, DNR meetings or, you know, natural resource meetings where they'll talk about some of their agendas and, and take questions or, or statements from the floor and if and if the dnr is familiar with you you're the pre- i'm the president of the kalamazoo coon club and i come and i can show you records of where we've had seven ukc events this year where we've bought seven permits where we've bought we've had uh, other registry events this year i got permits for all those events i have a membership list where we have this many people who have bought their license or paid up paid up license holders in the state how good is that that's look? another thing you're, that's a, another you're thing. an entity to them yep. that is you're 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 uh you're paying into it you're helping natural resources do what they have to do for for the environment and and for our parks and everything in the state and and they're going to really take what you say into consideration and not just kind of shrug you off as you know we don't know who you are yep. and we don't know what, yep. what you know, you're, you're why exactly are we right. to you yep we could there could be a lot being said about about that stuff getting your own license and things like that not just permits but your own keep your hunting license up to date and things like that yeah. Active membership, like you mentioned, and uh, 
Uh, you need more than just entries. You need to be active and invested in everything. Uh, always something to be done for sure. So who is, uh, you know, some other things uh, are guides. Who's securing guides for the hunt? You know, those are just some uh, pre-event uh, plans that need to be planned. Absolutely. You yeah. know, just uh, just making sure, you know, that if, if I'm a member of the club, you know, and I always guide if I can, you know, it'd be good for you to know if you're the event official or the uh, or uh, you mentioned leadership. You know, they, you know, in the, in the month before our meeting leading up to our last event or our upcoming event, the, that's the time to be, uh, discussing those things, yeah. make sure I'm going to be there. I have, we have all our guides and, and maybe somebody can't come that we're kind of aware of that and communication yeah. between members and the, and the officers. And that's all part of a successful club or the difference. Yeah. When you think about being an active member, sure. Paying your $10 a year and entering a few events a year is fine. That helps. But, man, there's always something else to be done, and people are always looking for it. You talk about securing guides for the hunt. Uh, maybe you can help be an official. Maybe you can work on getting your Master of Hounds license or your Bench Show Judge license. Yep. Or if you know someone, you can talk to, talk to them about coming. Yep. Somebody needs to be there to take entries, help take entries. Somebody needs to be there to uh, to get the paperwork filled out. Somebody needs to be there to, to work the kitchen. That's a huge part. Who's gonna? You can sell raffle tickets yep. to make money. You know, do a Calcutta or or jackpot and and take money for that. Be another person at the table to help uh, help in hand, help get donations for your club, whether it's awards or you know added purses or such thing. Talk to places in the community or or people in the community. Um, and I put on or tell people about the club. Tell people just hunters and non hunters. Every time you go to an event, tell them about your club, what you have upcoming. You know, maybe you're having a fish fry at the club with a night hunt later that night. Get some people out there, hunters or non-hunters. Yeah, yeah. there's a whole lot of things like that. You know, I, I remember one of the things that we used to do that I think uh, was huge, that I loved. Uh, you know, most of the places that we hunt, private places anyways, um, uh, I think sometimes we take for granted. We keep hunting these places and um, uh, those landowners. You know, and we don't think about it until we can't hunt there for any for whatever reason. You mentioned sure. fish fries. You know, I think clubs that have those type of events at the end of the year or whatever, and if it's something where me as a member uh, can invite the uh, farmers and the landowners that I hunt on, uh, invite them to something like this, that's that's huge. That goes a long way. Absolutely. It really does. When And I remember we used to do that, and it was good to see people that we didn't really see at the clubs a lot, you know, some of the landowners, but they would come for this fish, fish fry, bring their, their wife or spouse, maybe some kids or what have you. And you know what, that just secured some of those hunting spots, you know, and it may have been spots that you don't ever hunt. They're my spots, but this, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a good thing. Yeah. Good thing. Clubs doing things like that. And that's just, uh, going the extra mile and, and it makes a difference. Yeah. Sure does. And to be a good active member, uh, the, the last thing I'll say about about just the membership uh, playing into it doesn't mean just to be a good active member whenever you have a dog that's uh, in the compete, like in you're, you're actively competing at that time. If I'm out of a dog, if my dog's too old to compete and I maybe have a young dog who's not ready yet or for some reason I don't have a dog ready to compete, doesn't mean that I should step away from the club and, and no longer help them, you know. And, and to be an active member doesn't mean you have to be at every single function or event you know, maybe I can't make it to the hunt this weekend, but maybe I'm available on Tuesday night and I go mow the yard or weed eat a little bit or just clean up the clubhouse a little bit. Yeah. That's still helping the cause. For sure. For sure. Uh, let's talk about guides here. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest factors in what clubs I used to go to anyways was the guiding situation. I'm way more apt to travel to your club if I know that I'm going to be in I won't say that we're going to score a bunch of coons, but I know that we're going to be in safe hunting. We're going to be in, in good hunting where we can we can score a coon or two. And most importantly, if I'm driving uh, an hour and 20 minutes to your club, that you're not going to ask me to guide an hour and 20 minutes back to my place. And then if I win, I got to drive another hour yeah. and 20 minutes, another hour and 20 minutes. It's pro you're probably not going to keep coming back to our club if that's going to be the case. I'm not. Yeah, you're not. And it's, no, nobody is. Absolutely. And if, if clubs would expect that to happen, it just doesn't. That's what we talked about. It's You're just rarely successful if if you don't have uh, your uh, guides in place and, and things like that. So guides are very important. And local guides, that have good, safe places to hunt, for sure. Um, 
Judges, uh, I put yep, on here. Judges, yep, that's another one, you know, and, and that's one that I have always been a stickler about. I remember back in the old days, it seemed like they didn't used to select judges. You draw your cast, and whoever, just one of those guys would be on there. Maybe sometimes you'd go the you'd go up front, the Master Hounds called you up, all four of us go up, and sometimes it really depended on the club or the official. The official would say, hey, uh, you judge the cast. Or they would say, uh, who wants to judge the cast? Well, often if they ask that question, the first person to reach out for it is often kind of a red flag deal, you know, is, okay, why, you know, yeah. not always, but sometimes, you know, but uh, there was a push probably in the in the uh, early 2000s is when UKC really started pushing for uh, assigning your judges to every cast. And you make, you, you get those judges from your pool of entries that you have, get the best judge. I say the best judges, the ones that are very well qualified. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta start with getting your younger group, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, experienced in judging and, and, uh, get the card to them as well. You know, so sometimes, uh, uh, you know, but that also, that's, we could have a, we can make that a topic into this, sure. what makes a good club, you know, and that's training your younger guys to, uh, you know, on buddy hunts and things like that. But absolutely, yeah. So selecting good, solid judges that you can trust, that's very important. I can tell you, it will make a biggest difference in your hunt. Absolutely. They know how to take care of some of the uh, tougher situations that might come up. And another thing that is, I think is very key and one difference between experienced judges and non-experienced is not walking into something. Right. And that's how you learn sometimes. You walk into a situation uh, that you learn from is like, oh, man, if I could have done this differently. Uh, but you need experience to, you, you kind of do that before you get the experience to learn how to stay away or not walk in yourself into a bad situation. Right. And sometimes you can't help it, but there's a lot of situations that you can. Yeah. And so the foresight to... That coupled with the ability to take you, you question a call that I make. If I'm the best judges can say, let me tell you why I made the call, the yep. call here. And if yep. you don't agree with it, we can question it. Yep. Other, uh, other than being uh, mad that you yep. confronted me about a call I make, say, let's just take it back then. Yep. And then at that time, it turns into a bad deal for everybody. Yep. So, hey, and another thing we're talking about guides and judges. I know some clubs, and and I get it. I'm not sure. I think it's debatable sometimes, and I don't know that it's—I would argue that it's not always the best. They have good intentions, but they will use somebody that is not allow the guide to judge. Right. That's—I I don't really get that, I guess, and I could make an argument for it, but uh, I think—I don't think all that matters, or just because they're not a member of the club, they allow non-members to—I think the key thing is— Use What's still the most, judges. yeah, use your best judges. Yeah. All that doesn't really, I'm going to argue that. If you want to put on a good hunt, use use your right judges. Um, next, I'm talking, uh, I'm going to group two together here. Be organized and be transparent as a club. Um, I keep, I have here, keep, uh, you know, organized files of past event reports and scorecards. Um, obviously, UKC requires that clubs do that for, for a year. One year. Um, but it's not always a bad idea to keep a couple a couple years back, you know, just yeah. for you know maybe people want to know. Maybe it's a, some data you want to accrue about who's been judging and guiding for yeah. you, or how many coons are scored, and and this kind of thing. You know, if you have the ability to store a couple a couple years worth of cards and and stuff, do so for sure. If if somebody has a discrepancy on on uh, they didn't get their win on a report six months ago, and we get a hold of the club and they have no idea where that re that scorecard is or or anything. That's not going to help you at all. Get people to come to your to your club. So being organized and knowing where to find your old event reports and scorecards is is a good thing to do. And also, I have under that is when you're putting on an event. Part of being organized, I think, is being prepared. And uh, whether you're holding a, re a standard event, a YEP event, a youth event, um, a slam event, or even an RQE, knowing the rules beforehand and the procedures that go in place to hold that event. Don't wait till the night before or the day of and not know how to run those events. Acquaint yourself with how those events go well beforehand. Maybe when you schedule it and you decide to have an event like that, become familiar with how to run that event and the best ways to run that event and be prepared when the day comes. Make sure you have all your supplies. Right. And just, yeah, a lot of different things like that for sure. Being yeah. organized, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And before I get to the the last uh, the last one here, I wanted I did think of something that we were talking about guides, um, and when uh, this at the event I was at this weekend, they had uh, 
a certain amount of entries. They had they had twenty two entries and they had eight guides sign up. Obviously, they had way too many guides. And as a as the officer of that club, you're trying to figure out, hey, I don't want to burn any bridges here. How do I pick who's who? And uh, you know what he went by was people who are always at his club, and and also he goes and supports their their club and clubs working together. You're not burning bridges. It's important. If you're wanting to have a successful club to support the clubs around you in their area, don't schedule events on top of other clubs in your area. Build relationships with those clubs. Communicate with each other. Uh, familiarize yourself with the officers of that club so you can have a good working relationship, work together, and everybody's going to do better in that case. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point, you know, as far as, you know, just because that's a good problem to have if you have too many guides. That's normally not a problem, you know. That's way not better a, than the other way around. It is <laughs> way better than the other way around. But I think the point you're trying to make is just because I'm a member of the club, uh, but this other guy is not who lives plenty close enough or whatever that can guide, and he's got really good hunting maybe. Maybe maybe in this case, even though I'm a member, uh, you know what, I just give up guiding tonight, even though maybe I would have, it might have, uh, you know, taking my dog back to familiar. Maybe this is the one that I just sit down or yeah, sit out. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and that's, that's all part of being a good club member. Yeah. Doesn't, you don't have to always have the advantages and all this and that, you know, do be selfless. Yeah. Whatever is best for the club. Yeah. You know, we, so we keep coming back to guides, but they're so essential. Yep, but you saying that, I think about the, if this, if it's the other way around, maybe we're, we're split into registers and champion. And we don't have a registered guide, but we got two or three local guys on this champion cast over here that can all guide. Yeah. If I'm a member of the club, I need to take some personal responsibility here, take my dog out of the hunt, and go over here and guide this other cast. Yep. This is my yep. club, and that's my duty. Yep. Another one you have on here, be inventive. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest limiting factor for for some of the clubs that we're seeing that are not doing as well today is that they're so stuck on old ways of what they're doing and they're not doing thing, different things to try to bring in new people or to draw people to their event. Um, so I put, try new things, you know, come up with different prizes or rewards out there. Some of the best clubs out there are, are putting together really nice packages or, or something to highlight winners. They're posting it on social media and making it a big deal before the event ever gets there, showing what's available. Uh, Calcuttas and jackpots are fun, easy to do. It takes no time. There's no money out of your pocket there. You just you actually make a little money on it yeah. in most cases. Um, uh, some clubs doing yearly ser uh, series. Uh, see Limberlost has one. Uh, the Palmetto one over in South Carolina. All, all the time seeing their yearly standings of how their their club members are doing. Not at just their local events, but maybe at like Grand American or Autumn Oaks or or other major events to encourage their their club members to participate in those larger events. And I yeah, just not make just your a name like drop, but, it's, but it's, this is, you know, hate to, there's a lot of uh, good folks out there that are making those extra, uh, extra, putting in that extra effort. And you mentioned the Palmetto uh, Coon Club in South yeah. Carolina. There's a good example, you know, and, and uh, uh, yeah, man, it, folks like that do make a difference. Yeah, they, do. they really make a difference, really do. And you mentioned, you know, hey, being stuck in the old ways, hey, doesn't mean that some of those old things were bad because they worked back in the day. Sure. Sometimes they just don't work now like they used to back then. Doesn't mean they were bad then or anything, you know, but you just got to be, uh, yeah, uh, uh, try different things. You know, one of the one of the things that I, for me personally, that's not everybody, but for me personally that I like is, okay, instead of maybe a trophy or something, if I win my cast or whatever, if I'm going to get an award, for me personally, would be that I get a free ticket to an entry to your next hunt. Yeah. You can give me my entry fee or whatever. That's good, too. But another good, I think, you know, if you give me a free entry, you know, a ticket, you know, that means I can't go just, I can, I'm going to be back at You're your club back again. To my club. Yeah, I'm coming back to your club. Maybe buy another raffle yeah. ticket, buy yep. another dinner. Exactly. You know, double headers, you know, talk about dinner. We, we kind of skipped over that kitchen part a little bit, other than you mentioned having a good kitchen. But I think... Uh, clubs that have good food that's also a plus and people will soon figure out if you have good food the difference be kind of between your maybe just kind of regular food and then i'm not saying that's bad because it's it, that's good too but something clubs that go a little out of the way to have kind of really good food makes a difference and folks will will pick up on that soon enough and you'd be surprised and especially with double hitters when guys come back from their first hunt what are they going to do they're oh, going to belly up to the kitchen sure they are. Yep. You know, and clubs take advantage of that and uh, while, while you have it right there in front of you. Absolutely. You know, and it's, 
Yeah, if, if the club's not going to have food, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to stop at the gas station on the way back. I may as well be spending my money at your club. I'd have something there for me when we return. So. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do a quick 180 real quick. Yeah. We've yeah. been talking about how to make successful clubs, but how can I, if I'm not a member of the club, I'm just coming to your club, how can I make a difference? And I just said, if you're frequent, if frequently going to clubs and events, be positive, be active, be appreciative of the people that are there. Uh, these guys are volunteers. You know, they're, they've been appointed by their peers in the club. Uh, they're not getting paid. To, they're not making a dime off being there all weekend. Uh, be appreciative of what they're doing. You know, if you have some recommendations, you can maybe do that or take it to their meeting and become a member. Uh, but be appreciative of, of them taking time out of their, their day and, and, you know, investing time and money and resources into this event. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other night I, I mentioned again, I was at the, the event this weekend and whenever all the cats were gone, there was three people there. There was, there was me, uh, there was, uh, the club president's wife in the kitchen by herself. She worked the kitchen by herself, two full nights over the weekend after working all week, Friday and Saturday night, she was in the kitchen at the coon club till three o'clock in the morning, both nights, um, in there cooking breakfast for everybody. She had a big breakfast for everybody who came back. Just, she doesn't have to do that. Yeah. Uh, she could have easily uh, just said, no, nah, you do it, or somebody put something together. Could have had Pop-Tarts there instead. Yeah, but she yeah. had a nice a nice uh, egg and sausage and, and toast dinner or breakfast for everybody who came back. Yeah. She didn't have to do that. I think we take a lot of those things for granted sometimes as a participant, you know, and, and it's maybe it's easy for us to say, but, you know, I know who you're talking about, and there's a lot of ladies like that and a Absolutely lot of people that do that and can just be counted on. That's all part of being a good club. Again, you need that. Uh, but sometimes, you know, they could use a little help or sometimes, you know, that you just to show a a token of appreciation, you know, uh, you know what, these little $25 state cards or whatever come in handy to have some in your vehicle to, to pass out sometimes, whether it's landowners or in this case, maybe somebody that you just appreciate working behind the scenes like this, you know, and, and, uh, but yeah, those are all good things. You know, the second one, you mentioned an older guy that spent the weekend at the club and, and, uh, he was yeah. between being at the club and working in his garden at yeah. his house and just yeah. probably a 70 year old, old man who, yeah. who all, all he did was come there to unlock the door. He, uh, he brought some drinks from the store he had picked up on the way yeah. to make sure everybody had the kind of drink they wanted. Yeah. He stuck around in case somebody came back and needed a guide or, or anything. And, yeah to close up shop when we left and yeah. again and you you mentioned you know they get no glory in here you made a made a note of this they uh they get might not get any glory but uh, uh clubs need folks like that absolutely for sure do and and uh hey we need to we need to uh, as hunters you know go into clubs like that that put in a lot of effort we need to recognize that and not take it for granted either because that's the difference between uh good successful clubs yeah Thank you for listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. Be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss any of our new episodes or content. 